Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Um, But this morning, I want to continue on in our series, A Summer in the Psalms. I don't know if you've had a chance uh, to read a psalm a day this week. We have these, you know, reading guides that are available at our church, but uh, we also put them out in our weekly email electronically. Um, But it's really only one psalm or sometimes two a day. And each psalm, you know, is pretty short, so it takes you most maybe five minutes to do the reading for the day. And I told you last Sunday that I was going to be doing it myself, that I needed this to fill my head with God's word instead of all the other things that I can turn to, you know, in a day, my phone or things that I want, I think and worry about or. But my goal for the summer is also to read a psalm a day, to start my day with it, and then also to end my day with the same one. And, and I've done it this week. Uh, most of the time, I read a psalm while I was still laying there in bed. I just reached over, grabbed the Bible, and, and read it. Um, I've also grabbed a coffee and sat in my particular chair, read the psalm, and then spent just a minute praying. Um, and then I do it right before I go to bed, first, last thing before I turn off the light. Sometimes Carrie's getting into bed at the same time, and so I'll just read it out loud so that we both hear it. Um, But I'll tell you, I can honestly say that it has been like medicine for me. It has been great. It has helped me focus my mind, start my day on the right right track. Um, It has controlled some of my anxieties and tendency to think negative, and it's really just so simple. It's starting and ending my day with that psalm, and, you know, throughout the day, it'll just come to mind. God will bring it to mind. And some of the psalms we've looked at this week have been laments or finding a refuge in the Lord or relief from distress, and so each one has seemed to say something to me, and I hope it has for you as well. But I think what is the most, you know, is is just even our intention of giving that time to God. That's what blesses us, you know, you know, just giving him just a little bit of that time. You know, it's it's kind of like with our spouse and being married. You know, we can get so busy. We can get so task oriented that days go by and weeks go by and we forget to kiss our wife. We forget to hug our husband. We forget to say a kind word or even a how are you doing today? And 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 those those little things, they matter so much to a marriage and to a connection with with that person so too with God just being intentional like that with that five minutes a day in the morning and at at night and and just giving him that time in those psalms and devotion or a little thank you prayer for the gift of life and or a little help me Lord prayer you know those those things really matter today to keep a relationship strong with the Lord and to help us stay healthy. And so I hope you're doing a summer in the Psalms uh, with that. This morning, I want to read for us Psalm 19 and talk about it. And so I'm going to begin by reading Psalm 19. Listen to these amazing, beautiful words. Psalm 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hand. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. 
They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, and yet their voice goes out into all of the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of its chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens and it makes its circuit all over to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. And the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to our eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and are all of them righteous they're precious than more precious than gold much more than even pure gold they're sweeter than honey even more than the honey from the honeycomb for by them your servant is warned and in keeping them there is a great reward for who can discern their own errors who lord god forgive my hidden faults Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me, for then I'll be blameless and innocent of transgression. Now may these words of my mouth and these meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is a psalm of David. And uh, that final verse tells us what his heart is Behind the psalm, he says, may these words of my mouth and mouth and these thoughts that I've thought about and written down be pleasing to you, my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David is writing this poem, this psalm, this prayer to God. He is sitting out probably in nature somewhere. He's looking at the sun as it moves across the sky. He's looking at all of creation and how it all proclaims the work of God's hands. He's thinking about the Lord. He's reading the word of God. And so his thoughts go from creation and to, to the Bible, to the law and the commands and, and how all of this speaks to him and guides him and is perfect and so much more precious than gold even. For without it, how would a person know their own errors or walk in good ways? And so this psalm is all about how God is revealed within both creation and his word. And I really appreciate those things. Why, I would ask you, do the mountains so move us? Why are we drawn to the oceans and see the sunsets and the starry nights and, and the change of seasons? Why do those things move us like they do? <laughs> And I think it's because they're beautiful, because they're grand, because they're awesome, because they reveal something of God. 
We use the word awesome too frequently, too casually, but it means to stand in awe of, to glory in, to marvel at, and to wonder. And this is what creation, I think, does to us. If we really stop and, and look around us, it moves us because it reveals the greatness and the glory of God. Some of my family's most favorite vacations over the years have been the national parks. Looking upon the painted desert in Arizona or the Grand Canyon or the mighty sequoias that go up for miles or the waterfall in Yellowstone and the bayou in Louisiana or the Rocky Mountains in, in Alberta, Canada, near Lake Louise, my goodness, the Pacific Ocean, or even just a beautiful morning as I walk across the parking lot here to work and I see the sun coming up over the wide open cornfields in our front yard. And I hear the birds singing and I see the mist on the ground. Man. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day by day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Knowledge of what? Of God Almighty. Yes. Immanuel Kant was a, a great German philosopher, and he spoke about this psalm saying for himself that two things fill his mind with an ever-increasing wonder. He says, the starry heaven above me and the moral law within me. Just like David, he marveled at all of creation as well as God's word. C.S. Lewis said, I take Psalm 19 to be the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in all of the world. For much of church history, Psalm 19 was read as the Psalm on Christmas Day. Isn't that interesting? Because the emphasis of the Psalm is the glory of God revealed in creation, in Scripture, and in every human heart. People will often say, if God is real, why doesn't he just show himself? This psalm is saying, he has. Every day of your life, he reveals his glory in himself. He has revealed himself in all of his ways, in all of creation. He has revealed himself within his word. He's revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ or the love that he has placed within your heart. Open your eyes to see the glory of the Lord all around you. We have been blinded by the gods of this age and the busyness of life that is so distracting or the foolishness of what this world calls wise. We have been deceived and distracted, but we are without excuse because the truth is plain and is boldly declared around us every day. The glory of the Lord on display. Open your eyes. God speaks to us all day long 
and we refuse to listen. David, however, who wrote Psalm 19, he sees and he hears what others fail to see. Philip Brooks was the pastor who was called upon to first teach Helen Keller, who was blind and deaf, to first teach her about God. And when he came and he first began to teach her, after that first day, he was amazed because he said she already knew about God. She told him, and I quote, that I always knew there was a God, but I didn't know what his name was. Isn't that amazing? She was blind and deaf, but she could see what so many who have eyes and ears and tongues cannot. What they refuse to acknowledge when it is so plain around them. David says, the heavens declare, the skies proclaim. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Their voice goes out into all of the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Oh, can we see? Can we hear? In many different psalms, David focuses on creation to speak about God. He mentions the mountains and the rivers and the desert and the sheep and the shepherd relationship and the stars in the sky. These things all help him better understand who God is and the relationship that we have with him. Here in Psalm 19, David speaks about the sun. As a shepherd, he often watched the sunrise begin in the east and move all the way across the sky, eventually in the west, and then going down when darkness would then fill the sky again and the stars would be revealed. And, and then early in the morning, here would come the sun again. And that daily journey of the sun, this reality reminded him of like a, a bridegroom leaving the pavilion and going to claim his bride, he says. Or he says it's like the champion running a race each day. David saw the sun like that, a runner moving across the sky like a champion, running his race from start to finish before him. David's a poet. He's looking deeper at things. He sees what others don't see. Artists do that. Musicians and painters, they, they see details and they make connections to other things. They hear truths and the ordinary things of life. They look at a leaf or a snowflake in all of its detail, and they take a photo of the tiniest flower in a field. I'm often irritating my own children because I stop sometimes out on these country roads to take another picture of corn growing. I have so many, they make fun of me. But every year, it's been 11 years now in Nebraska, and yet it's still so fascinating to me how it begins with just the planting of a small seed into dirt, and then pretty soon you get this little green leaf that begins to appear in rows across the this giant field and then not but weeks later it's this growing pretty good and and then all of a sudden it's taller than me and I don't know why but this whole process of of growing and harvest 
is remarkable to me. And we are privileged to live here and to see it happen every summer in Nebraska. What a privilege to watch that. Who can say there is no God? I was at a store on 70th Street, and, and this store shared a parking lot with a garden center. And I was checking out and, and talking with the clerk, and we were both looking out the window of his store and watching all the people with carts buying flowers. So many flowers. <laughs> and the shop owner was telling me it's been crazy all week. So many people coming and buying plants. Why do we do this? Because we're drawn to the beauty of creation. It, it moves us. There's something about taking care of it and observing it and sitting out in it and taking a walk or around a lake. Why? I, and I would say the answer is it's because of the Lord. The heavens declare the glory of God. The rocks, the hills, the trees, the oceans, the storms, the stars. I remember this one time when the kids were little. Uh, Carrie had read in the paper that the Lorenzen Gardens up in, in Omaha was getting this stinky plant. Or they had it, but it only bloomed once a year for a very short time. And when it bloomed, it was really stinky. And so you had to be ready and come for just those two or three days or week or whatever it was. And then it, and then it would be over and you would have missed it. Well, Carrie heard it bloomed, it, you know, and it was like day three. So, you know, it could end any time. And so we packed up the little kids at like 8 p.m. at night and drove up to Omaha. They're in their pajamas. And when we got there, it was dark. And the line to get in the gardens to see the stinky plant was way down the street. Hundreds and hundreds of cars lined up. I'm not kidding. In fact, we were told to go home because the line was longer than the time left to be open. So we missed the stinky plant. But God made the stinky plant. How cool is that that he made a stinky plant? And we are drawn to it. The same reason we're drawn, I'm drawn, to go to the zoo every year just to see the elephant again, you know, or the lion or the giraffe or the sun bear and those crazy orangutans. I don't know, but I've always loved animals. I'm fascinated by the mountains. I'm fascinated by these weird, bizarre plants and, and the different climates that we have all around this globe. It's all so amazing. This is our God. He's made it this amazing for us. I read this week, there are over 10,000 species of ants 300,000 types of plants, 5,000 different mammals, 10,000 types of birds. I still stop when I see a cardinal so red on our bush out in front of our window there at our house. I remember the trip to the planetarium with the kids in Arizona. And hearing the guide say that the star that we were looking at that was just this little speck was so many light years away. How vast is the universe, he said. 
And I kept thinking, how great is our God? We Christians get to live in this place for a time. And we don't worship the trees or the stars, but we worship the one who made them. Because they reveal him, the artist behind the canvas, the poet behind the song of every morning. It is him. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen in what has been made. I hate the term Mother Nature. I prefer God's creation. For he's not separated from it. He is the one who made us and everything we see. He is the one in Genesis that we read, spoke and it was. And he is the one who continues to create like my beautiful children. He made them in, in their mother's womb, formed their unformed body. And, and he is the same one who grows that corn each year and keeps bringing that sun around the earth each day. It doesn't just happen. He's sending it. He is the one who sustains the earth and brings the rain and tells the lightning bolt where to go. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. To separate creation from the creator is blasphemous and foolishness. It would be like saying that the words that you are hearing now are not coming from me. They're just coming from wherever. No, I am speaking them. You are hearing me. So to tell, so all of creation to say that it, is, that it just kind of just happened is, is complete foolishness. No, God is speaking. He is creating. He is revealing. It is not just because it is because of him. Even the air we breathe and the heart that pumps the blood through our veins or the goosebumps that we get when we're chilled. In Psalm 19, David is the poet. Seeing what others fail to see every day play out before them. The work of God's hands. I'd encourage you to maybe focus this week on some creation. Maybe go to the zoo or Lorenzen Gardens with a friend or the nature center at Pioneers Park or Platte River State Park or take a walk around Branched Oak Lake or just open your eyes a little more than you normally do and ponder just a little deeper than you normally do. For he made what you see. Every color and shape and variety. And so if you were to write a poem today, if you were to write a psalm or paint a picture or even just make a list of what you love most about what he made, what would you write, say? How has God spoken to you through his creation? But Psalm 19 doesn't just speak about how God is revealed in creation. But in verse 7, David begins to speak about how his God is also revealed within his law. His word, the scriptures, this was the second way God was making himself known to him. And this is really interesting <clears throat> because in the first part of Psalm 19, when speaking about creation, David uses the general term for God, Elohim. 
in the Hebrew. But in the second half of Psalm 19, when speaking about the law, the word of God, David uses the very personal name of God known to his people, the Israelites. And that name is Yahweh, or translated Lord. For the God of the heavens made himself personally known to David's people, to his descendants, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and those he delivered out of Egypt as David's family, starting way back with, with Abraham. And, and when Abraham set out for a foreign land, you know, and he came from Ur, he, he didn't know, you know, who God was. He only knew, like Helen Keller did, that there was a God, but he didn't know his name or who he was. But God revealed himself to Abraham, came to him and sent him to a new land, to a new people. And he told Abraham his name. And from Abraham's descendants, God would make himself known to all the world. So the name for God that David uses in the second half of Psalm 19 is the very personal and revealed name uh, his people have come to know, Yahweh, the one who loved them and was guiding them and providing for them, the one who spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai and gave them the law, the Torah, the commandments, and told them how to live, how to worship. He told them who they were and where they come from. And, and you see, this is the Bible. This is it. It is God's holy word given to us. The creator has made himself known in creation, but also very personally through his word. And just like creation is God's work, so too the Bible is God's work. People didn't write these stories out of their own imagination. These pages aren't filled with people's ideas about what God could be like. We believe the Bible is God's own word revealing himself. Speaking through these pages and his commands and his will that he gave that we might know him. He gave it to Moses and others to pass down that we might know him. Tim Keller said this great quote. He said, the Bible has the power to show and restore your true identity. For the Bible to do this, though, you must accept that it is perfectly true and trustworthy in all of its pages. So just as God spoke and his creation came about, so too God spoke and his word came about. Moses and David, the prophets, the disciples and apostle Paul, and they're, they're speaking God's word. And so we know God in part through creation and we get to know him even greater in his word, who he is and his will for us and salvation. That is why our mission today is so important for all the world can see the truth of God in part in creation. But to know his name, to know his ways, to know his will, to know our savior, boy, that we need this. That the Helen Keller thing, you know, I didn't know his name. Well, we get to tell people his name. We get to teach him the word and where where can you can get to know the Lord and and so the Jewish people, they had that mission first. And now in Christ and with the gospel, we too share that truth of God that's revealed in his word. David says the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The word he uses for law here is Torah. And it means instruction or direction or teaching. 
God's word is our instructions for life. It's a blueprint, the game plan, and it's, and it's a perfect one. I read this week that the, another word for Torah, you know, that, that comes is, is, is a word that, that talks about shooting an arrow at a target, you know. And so the word sin actually means to miss the mark, but the word is there to really aim us at the target, to show us where the target even is. You know, what God's will is for us, his nature, his character, his design, his good and pleasing and perfect. Without the target, we'd be utterly lost. And that target is God's word. And it, and it never changes because God doesn't change. Our world constantly changes. What one generation thinks is right or wrong or another culture accepts or doesn't, that is constantly changing. But God remains because God is always um, the target remains the target, for it is who he is. And his word is eternally there to guide us back to who we are, who he made us to be. Jesus said in Matthew 5.18, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And anyone who breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making us wise. <clears throat> I love the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3, when he says, As for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know in those whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Reading the Bible will make you wise. There is the answers right there that God has for us. It's where God is aiming us at the target. It's in these pages and the applying them to our circumstances is how we grow. David says this instruction will give joy to your heart. He says the commands of God are radiant like a light in the darkness. He says the ordinances of the Lord are sure. Jesus says when we build our life and family upon his word, we're building our home on solid ground, not on sinking sand. In Psalm 19, uh, he says God's word is more precious than gold. It is more sweeter than honey. What David is saying is this book, can save your life. God's word is the most valuable thing that you own. You may have only spent $25 at Barnes & Noble for it, but if you read it and believe it and apply it, it is priceless. It has the power to save. I think of Joshua. He followed Moses. Talk about big shoes to fill. But God came to him in Joshua 1.6 and said, Be strong and courageous, because you now will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to give their forefathers. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all of the law uh, that my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left so that you might be successful wherever you go. Do not let the book of law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you might be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. This is what David is saying. David then ends this psalm by asking God to forgive all of his hidden sins 
and to keep him from willfully doing wrong. And this is how the word of God, you see, is so personal to us as well. For when I read God's word, when I open it up and read those psalms, or when I read the commands of God or the stories about Jesus and, and the things that God did with those Israelites in the Old Testament, man, it is like a mirror up to my face. I can see my own sin or I see the faith that I need to have in my particular circumstances. I can hear God speaking right to me. For this is the power of God's word. The spirit uses the word to convict and to guide our own hearts. Warren Wearsby writes that the way that we treat the Bible is the way we treat the Lord. For the last two weeks, I have watched my daughter um, walk out to the mailbox every day with a letter to send to her boyfriend who is in North Chicago at basic training for the Navy. They take away his phone, and so these kids, they have to go old school for 10 weeks and write letters. And I sit in my office, and I look out my window, and I see my daughter walk across the parking lot every morning to the mailbox carrying another letter for the one that she loves. It's actually quite touching. Well, I don't want us to miss this important connection and truth. That the Bible is God's letter written to you whom he loves. Open it and you will possess his heart. Psalm 19 is about how God is revealed within all of creation and within his word. And I just have to say that for us today, it's even greater because David lived in the time before Christ, but we live in the time after. And so we don't even just have all of the beauty of creation or the beauty of God's word and law, but we also have Jesus Christ and we have his spirit living inside of us now that we might get to know him better and live in his will today. So we live in this blessed time, you see. All three of these things, creation, the written word, and Jesus, we get it all to know him and to walk with him in a more perfect picture of who God is. We are not in the darkness. The light has come. And so open your eyes and see the glory of the Lord all around you every day as creation pours forth speech and the heavens declares and the skies proclaim and all of creation sings and the word speaks to your heart and the Savior makes all things new. How wonderful and marvelous. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in his sight. My Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you are able to join us in worship again soon. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church programs and events, head to bccwaverly.org.